Welcome to episode 45 of the Different Doctor Same Old Shit podcast. Each week we're going to watch a story based on Doctor Order and dissect it. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, it's the ravishing Doctor L. How you doing, Doc? Very good, mate. Very good. Um, so, uh, lovely listeners should know that uh, because of me, or because of me not being, being able to get a working internet connection easily, um, we're going to be running a bit short this evening, so we'll, we'll, we'll be dropping a few bits and pieces and sort of get, pretty much getting straight to the episode, I think, won't we? Yeah, we've had some technical technical snafus, haven't we, Doc? But it's all resolved now, hopefully. Um, so I think the only thing we'll drop, Doc, is the is the topic of the week. Um, Very good. I think we need to do corrections because we've got a, we've got a boatload and they're starting to pile up uh, <laughs> because because we're so utterly useless. Um, so should we get that out of the way first? Yeah, I mean, just just so long as there's uh, there's no inference that we're ever wrong about stuff or no. that we, we we make factual errors or anything like that. Exactly, we, we, we're living in a post fact world, Doc, so it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> um, I said that it was Sir John Gielgud who got annoyed with Dustin Hoffman on the set of Marathon Man when he was delaying take after take because of his insistence on method acting. It wasn't Doc; it was Laurence Olivier. Same difference, though, right? Oh well. Um, I, I, I think he could be forgiven for making that little slip, mate. I think so. Um, I wasn't sure about the release dates of the Matrix sequels. The Matrix obviously came out in 1999. Strangely, it seems, they both came out in 2003, pretty much back-to-back. -back. That's rather unusual, isn't it? I, I didn't remember that at all. I just said, uh, have you seen either of those two films, by the way? Uh, yeah, I've seen them both. Um, the second one is irredeemably terrible um but the third one is it's pretty good actually it's like um it's about as close as you it's about as close as you're gonna get to live action anime i would say okay um I, the the sequels passed me by completely yeah um i don't know what i was doing but i they 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 came and they went, and I didn't even—I I literally didn't even notice they'd uh, they come and gone. So I, I, I was—I was curious as to how how those turned out. There's a fourth one as well, you know, which um, came out, which came out about four months ago, which has received absolutely diabolical reviews. Yeah, I mean tonight um, on air, I'm going to have to ask you to talk me sort of through what the rationale is between making sequels to things twenty years after they were current and relevant. Well, I suppose. You know, you've got um, like the you know the people that are in their late teens, early twenties, twenty years ago, um, and had you know a bit of disposable income to go to the cinema. They then go away, get married, have kids, and and kind of forego their social lives. And now the kids have kind of grown up and, and flown the coop, and so maybe they're maybe they're interested in 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 kind of you know uh, doing stuff like going you know going to the restaurants, going to pubs, and going back to the cinema. Sure. You know, that's yeah, just, just just a thought. Uh, I also said that the Matrix was influenced by Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, because of the wire work, basically. Not possible though, because Crouching Tiger came out just one year after the first Matrix movie. So, bugger me, senses, Doc. I was totally wrong okay. about that. Um, um, I, mean, I think I think it would be fair enough influenced by seventies Hong Kong kung fu movies and early nineties Hong Kong action movies, though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a, it's a common source, effectively, isn't it? Really, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the thing that tricked me. Um, Doc, you thought that perhaps Ving Ramis was one of the crew of the Nostromo in Alien. Um, it uh, wasn't. And it isn't. It's Yafik Kotto. It's Yafik Kotto, Doc. You've just, you've just revealed yourself to be a massive racist. But it's okay. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yafik Kotto, what a great, great present, screen presence he is, by the way. Um, we said that Judy Dench had never played Queen Victoria and that this was some kind of mass delusion that all British people have. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, she has played Queen Victoria in a 27th film called Victoria and Abdul, um, which is apparently rather good. Don't miss Judy Dench in the true story of a most unlikely friendship. But he's a servant. And I am the Queen of England. You will drop this, or we will have you certified insane. I am anything but insane. Abdul is my friend. Thank you, Your Majesty. Victoria and Abdul. I just thought we'd pop around for tea. <laughs> in the Victory of the Daleks episode, I said that in Tomorrow Never Dies, Jonathan Price delivered the great line, give the people what they want. He didn't. It was... Brosnan O'Bond, and he said it as he was killing the very same Jonathan Price's character at the end, right at the end of the show. Oh, Christ, what have I done? I've just spoiled a, a 25-year-old film. Doc. Hang me, <laughs> shoot me, slice me yes, up now. Um, in the Robot of Sherwood episode, the Australian kids' TV show that I couldn't think of when you, good doctor, were waxing lyrical about freewheelers was round the twist. Have you ever, ever felt like this? Have strange things happen? Are you going round the twist? Have you ever, ever felt like this? Have strange things happen? Are you going round the twist? Well, have you heard the The TV show with, for my money, possibly the best theme music ever. Do you know that one, Doc? Around the twist. Never heard of it. No, it was like a. If, if memory serves, it was like a, just like an like offbeat, zany kind of not quite this world, um, but almost this world um, kind of high school comedy in a way. It was, it was rather weird. I, I quite liked it. I'm gonna to have to look that up now. It sounds yeah. fascinating. Just get out and just got a, and it's just got great, great, a great song for the um, for the titles as well. Um, the doc stated that Westworld was on TV around the time of the broadcast of Robot of Sherwood. Well, here's the facts: Robot of Sherwood aired in September 2014, whereas Westworld premiered in October 2016. So a couple of years between them. Doc, there we go. Now we know, don't we? Um, and I think that'll about do it. Oh, yes, yeah, so we we're going to drop another section. Oh, yes, yeah, so we're going to drop the topic and we're going to drop the what are we watching section. So should we get into the show, Doc? Definitely. Let's do that. Don't forget, guys, you can contact us by email, differentdocsos at gmail.com, facebook, um, mo.moses.1048, or twitter at sosdifferent. Five rounds rapid, 
inbound. Jenkins? Watch yeah. for the wings there. Five rounds rapid. Welcome to part one of the show. Uh, part one normally would be the, the topic of the week, but as we've already mentioned, we're going to go straight into five rounds rapid. Um, today's story is Rosa, uh, which is Jodie Whittaker's third outing, written by Mallory Blackman, uh, primarily known for children's stuff in the late 90s and early noughties, Doc, including uh, Jack and Ori. Until he was four years old, James Henry Trotter had a happy life. And Biker Grove, she's also a writer of children's fiction. Tiny correction, uh, it's written by her and Chris Chibnall, because that yep. man can't keep his name off anything. Exactly, yeah, I was about to say, as well as Chris Chibnall. There we go. Um, directed by Mark Tonderai. We mentioned him before, Doc. Any, any recollection? No, afraid not. That's all right. Um, he used to be a DJ on the BBC, on BBC Radio 1, I believe, uh, back in the 90s. Then he directed the absolutely brilliant uh, British kind of... Suspense, a bleak strut horror movie called Hush. Hello, yes, police. I think I've just seen something really weird on the motorway. Well, they said that they'll sort it. Well, how? Well, well, it isn't our problem anymore. That's an awful thing to say. What can we do? Your priorities are all the fucked up! And a pretty good Hollywood movie, House at the End of the Street. The freak finally decided to show up. Hey, you just moved in. I live next door. Here I am, Jacobson. He likes you. <laughs> Um, as well as plenty of stints on American TV fare, most notably Gotham. Um, music by Segan Akinola. Main cast, we've got obviously Joe D as the third as the thirteenth Doctor, Bradley Walsh as Graham, Mandip Gill as Yaz as Yaz. Tosin Cole as Ryan, other notables, Vinette Robinson as Rosa Parks, Joshua Bowman as Crasco, Trevor White as James Blake, and Richard Lothian as Mr. Steele. Um, 
I'll kick things off if you want, Doc. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm going to say to start with, I, 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 I might warn the listener that this is going to be a tough one for me, and I get, I do get very emotional about these subjects. Um, and that, you know, they're, 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 there's a possibility I might choke up from time to time. We'll see how we go. I'll try to keep myself in order, but you never know. Uh, you know, it has been known in the past, so fair warning. Um, very upsetting opening scene, Doc, um, as Rosa Parks is thrown off the bus and then the bus drives away. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, Doc. My, you know, my, my tears were, were welling pretty much instantly. Um, how did it affect you? Hectoring, lecturing, mm. finger-waggling. Um, yeah, you carry on. That's all right, Doc. Yeah, I, I, I suspected you, you, you may have a different take to me, but it, I think it is just because this stuff just, you know, I don't, this stuff just gets to me so much. I can't help but be kind of carried by my heart rather than my head. Um, and I, I, I've never been very good at like compartmentalizing these kind of things. Um, what else have we got? Um, I mean, the obvious thing that we need to get out of the way is like the like the use of racial epithets, I suppose, in ostensibly a kids' program. Um, we got that line, you know, we don't serve Negroes, um, and dropping the word Paki, you know, even though it comes from a Pakistani character, um, obviously it's the first. Quite surprising. You, oh, do know that the, you do know that the We Don't Serve Negroes line is a quote from Muhammad Ali, don't you? No, I don't, actually. Yeah, uh, We Don't Serve Negroes, that's okay, I don't eat them. <laughs> yeah, 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 as usual, uh, Muhammad Ali yeah, it delivers a fine line. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to quote, then I, 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 I think you need to quote an exchange in full. Sure. Oh yes. Oh yes. So you so you you're unhappy with the um, selective nature of that quote, there, Doc? No, no, no. The, um, the quote was bang on. Ah. Um, you seemed uncomfortable about the use of an epithet at all. Um, sure. I mean, the, uh, whenever I've heard the quote from life, um, the cafe proprietor was always said to have said Negroes and not the stronger end. Epithet. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 I certainly wasn't saying there was any valorising going on there. Sure. All right, Doc. Yeah. Um, it's funny, actually, those two, um, you know, those two, like the word Negro and the word Paki being used here, because in my, in my actual day-to-day -day life, <clears throat> um, there are two there are two guys that kind of self-identify using these, in the, these particular words. A guy that I work with, um, a lovely chap called Paul, Jamaican, um, about six foot four in both directions. He's a proper man mountain. Um, and it, 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 he always refers to himself as the Negro, um, which he, he always, make, always makes me laugh. You know, you don't, don't stop panicking, guys. The Negro's here, um, which is very, very funny. Um, and <clears throat> at the corner shop near where I used to live, um, the, the proprietor there, it introduces himself as Packy Pete. Oh, you're right there, I'm Packy Pete. Um, so it's interesting. I would imagine that you know, that you, 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 like your flag waving, um, 
uh, what's the word? Um, oh, what's the what's the phrase, Doc? Something. Um, oh, um, virtue signalling sorts, which you know, I would, I would put Chris Chibnall in that character. Would I would imagine that that would make the argument that, that you know the use of of those words in almost any context is anti, you know, is 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 forbidden. Um, but these guys self-identify that way, Doc. So how does it work then? There's, there's a couple of different things going on here, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I think a person is allowed to refer to themselves by whatever they're damn well please. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's... And I don't even know how I feel about this. Mm. Um, there's the old... Um, till death us do part argument about well if you claim to represent realism and real attitudes then people really do actually talk like that Johnny Spate took a long break from writing that um, is because he got to find out that people repurposing his jokes as insults in earnest. Yeah. Um, and it upset him very much. And he, he, he actually sort of, he, he stopped writing the Afghanic character for like more than 10 years. Yeah, because he um, came back as um, in sickness and so health, the, didn't it, Doc? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, now, my old darling, they've laid it down to rest. Edge for the sake of edge and arguments for realism and that's how people speak. Quite obviously, none of those words have ever been used as insults towards me mm -hmm. for very obvious reasons. Yeah. So likely, I don't even have the right to speak about it. Sure. Um, certainly, no, no one's ever checked half bricks at me while shouting those words. No, or put, or put dog shit through your letterbox, for example. No. Um, yeah. So I, I'm... I, all right. Um, I'm going to swear off this discussion because I'm not the person who should be giving you it. Uh, I mean, it's it's not for me to comment on. Mm. Um, I, mean, I mean, from from my position of distance, privilege, vantage, I feel like saying, um, you know, shouldn't we have bigger fish to fry than a few words yeah. used in context? Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. that, that's my take. That's my take, really, Doc. You know, of course. More, I wouldn't. Oh, go on. The more mischievous, the more mischievous side, the more mischievous side of me knows perfectly well that an entitled middle-class white man in 1950s Alabama wouldn't have used the word "boy" mm -hmm. 
you yeah. would have used the word that I found myself too many mouths to say earlier on. Sure, yeah, yeah, I think we all um, know what the, so, the word you're referring to. And um, so, I, I mean, if if you're going out for realism, then you should damn well go out for real. I mean, if if, if you're planning to, sh to show the ugly truth, you should show you know you should show the ugly truth. Yeah, well, well, you know, and you know, the the word the word nigger is kind of how can we say kind of the the absence of it in this episode is striking, isn't it? Well. It... <laughs> Once again, it, it's it's a touchy topic, and mm. it's touchy for me because I'm absolutely not the person who should who, who should be comment, commenting about it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, the same as things that use that that, that go crying shy of using the word faggot, and things that go yeah. crying shy of you know um, all of those words that people definitely do use in yeah. anger mm -hmm. in real life. Mm -hmm. And if you lay any claim to depicting things as they really were, um, but, you know, otherwise you end up with something like the accused. Sarah Tobias was brutally assaulted. Her lawyer betrayed her. I don't have a case. The system ignored her. You ain't gonna defend me because I'm some low-class bimbo, right? I didn't say that. Her one chance is courage. I get to tell my story. There was no rape. Her one weapon is dignity. No deals. Kelly McGillis, Jody Foster, The Accused, rated R. Starts Friday, October 14th at a theater near you. Used that cuts tastefully away, you know, that, that, that cuts tastefully away shortly before Jody's knickers get pulled down. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and leaves the rest to your imagination, because that's worse, apparently. No, it isn't. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Um, um, you used a great word there, Doc, which is context. You know, with the, the two examples that I've saw, cited, my, uh, my work colleague and the, and the, the shopkeeper, you know, it, 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 it purely is all about context, isn't it? You know, they're obviously happy to be referred to that way. And if so, if I if I then refer to them in that manner, which they've they've decided is, is is acceptable to them, I I just refuse forthright any accusation of racism. To me, it is an example of kind of almost like. Um, it's male it, bonding. It's not, male bonding, like It's not even context. It's um, it's something far more identifiable than that, and it's um, mutual consent between peers and equals. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, if you're in a relationship with someone who gives you permission, a bleak stroke, asks you to tie them and burn them with lit cigarettes, mm -hmm. um, in the context of mutual consent between peers and equals, well, that's that's not abuse by anyone's definition. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, nobody would ever make that mistake. Sure. Um, I don't know, maybe some people would. I think probably some people still probably would. Yeah, I, I, I think there is a, I think there is a, a section of society that, 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 would, that would, that would kind of blame that on some kind of, um, blame, that, blame that on the patriarchy in some way, I'm sure. Or, um, or false consciousness. Oh, yeah. Or, um, I mean, I'm I'm intensely uncomfortable being who I am, debating the rights and wrongs of using these words. Mm. Um, 
And it, it's one of those situations where if I had to make a television program, I would be deferring I, 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 um, very much in the manner as, of I wouldn't try and do my own household plumbing. Mm. Um, I would hire an expert consultant and, and I'd I, I consult with them what's the best thing to do in this situation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what did you make of that conversation between Yaz and Reinhardt, where she, you know, where, where, where she, where she used the word packing? You know, they're sitting, they were kind of sitting by a, by, by a wheelie bin, weren't they, and just having a bit of a heart to heart about, um, well, of, about race, racist experiences in their own lives. What did we make about I that? I wasn't here. I wasn't feeling very kindly disposed to Yaz at this point because um, this is coming shortly after a, sh- a, a, a scene where she'd had to defend it because someone called her a Mexican. Oh yes, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and not and not because someone had been racist towards her. Mm. Did, did, was she offended um, in that scene, or, do, or just a bit puzzled? Because um, I, th- I thought that was I thought that was quite funny that that bit. Uh, it's. All of that, all of that stuff, mm. all of that stuff read to me like nothing but preaching to the converted. Yeah. Um, this is this is echo chamber crap. Well, yeah, and I mean, making making the... Uh, all right, I was going to put this off a bit later, um, and I'm going to get into it now. Making ah. the villain a cardboard cutout white supremacist. In other mm. words, making the villain a character with absolutely no shades, um, no moral ambiguity at all. Mm. Um, and although it does set something up that's the single biggest irresolvable contradiction that's at the heart of the episode mm-hmm. um, that scene where he appears you will notice the doctor um, spots the mark that identifies him as an escaped convict yeah and not even for one second does the doctor think to herself he might have been wrongfully imprisoned, he might mm-hmm. have been unjustly imprisoned, he might have been unpr- imprisoned by an unjust regime, he might be a political prisoner. The Doctor immediately, with not even the space for thought, goes, you're an escaped convict, um, you're a bad man. Mm-hmm. Um, now, <laughs> if the Doctor had been given a tattoo or an identifying mark every time they'd been locked up in a prison, uh, the Doctor had been locked up in a prison somewhere, um, then uh, um, I, I think the Doctor would probably look a bit like some sort of Clive Barker character by now, don't you? <laughs> certainly. Yeah, she certainly had more tattoos than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's for sure. And it's that reaction of the Doctor's, I can tell you've escaped from prison. Um, and you must... And I, I can practically hear Chris Chibnall's wheels turning. You must have been in prison for something bad that you did. Because nobody gets put in prison for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, almost, even if it wasn't the thing that you were put in prison for, you must have done something bad. You must be a bad man. You must be the enemy. It, it, it's, it's more evidence of, of, of this kind of authoritarian streak that runs throughout his writing, isn't it, Doc? Yeah, and I, I was saving this to the end, but you brought it up. Um, yeah. Now is as good a place with, uh, as, as any. Um, here is the irresolvable paradox at the heart of the episode. Chris Chibnall, a man who clearly hates, a, a, a man who clearly adores authority um, and who hates anti-authoritarian behaviour and who feels the need to present the doctor as an authority figure, um, is put into the position where he has to supervise a story 
which has an act of radical protest mm. at the very, very centre of its narrative. And Chris Chibnall hates radical protest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a massive moment of radical fra- of, of of narrative fracture. Um, That's a really interesting observation you make there, Doc, because it it it, it kind of exposes kind of the, the the great problem almost with kind of modern leftism in a way you know this kind of subservience to authority this subservience to mega corporations you know the the, the actual lack of fire in their belly the lack of genuine radical protest mentality and yet at the same time they want kind of social progress well you can't you can't have both can you Doc? um but that's what that, that's where the inspirational figures come in, isn't it? Yeah, go on. Um, well, other people do it for you. Well, you you you, you get to Thunberg's. Uh, I mean, Greta Thunberg, Thunberg isn't even an inspirational. Uh, I mean, she's like a wannabe pop idol or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, she's she's a child actress who's being mm. abused and exploited by her parents, as far as I can see. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, for, for for the purposes of making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean that's that's the one extreme of it, um, but you know this this consistent insistence on inspirational figures, mm-hmm. um, and I was about to say inspirational figures, but no, inspirational figures really aren't fine. Um, social progress has been historically brought about by people like oh I don't know Rosa Parks mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King. Sure. Sure. Um, who, under no circumstances, relied on inspirational figures to do their heavy lifting for them. Well, no, they they, they, um, they, they kind of uh, they did it themselves, didn't they, Doc? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you, meant- you know, as 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 an aging punk, um, I sort of still have this 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 fondness for the DIY ethic and the idea that. Um, instead of relying on somebody else to do something for you or give something to you, you should probably at least have a go at doing it yourself. Mm. Did, did, we get to, did we get to an answer, Doctor, about that conversation? What, what did you make of it? That, you know, Yaz and Ryan by the bins? Um, well, it, it's, it's all worthy stuff, isn't it? But, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's interesting to me that the, um, the, the, the main writer on this, um, you know, in the interests of in the interest of equality and being inspirational, I would have thought a lot more, I, I would have thought a great deal more of Chris Chibnall if he'd left his own fucking name off the front. Why do you think he did that? Because, you know, I would have thought that, um, you know, it, it would give much more kind of credibility and validity to the episode if, 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 if it was solely written by, a woman for example, a black woman, you know? Yeah. Um, so it does seem like a really, really strange decision. Is that just ego? Um, well, because I don't think he can help himself. Mm. Um, I think, despite all of his, despite all of his blustering and all of his like rote pandering, mm. um, there's no way that he doesn't come. There's, there's no way that he doesn't come across as a figure of the patriarchy and a figure of authority. Mm. And I, I don't think he can help himself, and I don't think he can even see the contradiction. Sure. Mm. Um, I, I'd, uh, I mean, it seems so blindingly obvious to me when you've got the chance to make an episode like this and you've got the chance to be fucking magnanimous mm-hmm. and give all writing credit to a woman of colour. 
Yeah. Why would you not do that? Yeah. Like, I, wonder, I, I wonder how much he contributed, you know, in, in, in real terms. Obviously, we'll never know. Um, I'm tempted to say the crap bits. Yeah. <laughs> um, one more line I wanted to mention, you know, the, touching on kind of racial issues and then, and then hopefully we can we can steer away from that particular topic um you've got a policeman he says um to the group you don't i know he says to the doctor you don't happen to know a couple of mongrels a negro boy and a mexican girl and the doctor says her response is i don't recognize anyone by that description i thought that was a great answer doc um but it's <sighs> It's in the middle of such a piece of strawmanishness. I, I mean, this is something else. Um, and once again, I know why they did this. I know they want. Well, I know why they want to give the bulk of the characterization to the black characters, and so they should. So they are. But the white people in this episode only pop up to say racist things. Yeah. Um, there's a guy who apparently goes fishing in order to be a racist. <laughs> You're right. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, hello, darling. Sorry, darling. I'm just off for a bit of racist fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a scene with some white people in a whites-only pub, um, with only white people around, and the only thing they talk about are, 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 are racist things. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no way these are characters. The they just put it. They just cardboard cutouts. Put put there for you to throw rotten vegetables at. This is a bit like. And I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. We certainly talked about it in real life. It's a bit like uh, like poverty porn in a way, isn't it? You know, it's, it's shit like um, shameless. Now nobody's saying that Chatsworth Estate is the Garden of Eden. We just don't think they are. But it's been a good home to us, to me, Frank Gallagher. And me kids, who I'm proud of, because every single one of them reminds me a little of me. They can all think for themselves, which they need to thank for. Fiona, who's a big help, massive help. Lip, who's a bit of a gobshite, which is why nobody calls him Philip. Um, you know, they're the just kind of treats working class people as if every waking moment of their lives is spent kind of in, in in desperate anguished thought about about their own plight and about the fact they haven't got enough money to fix their fix the car or buy a new phone or whatever or whatever it happens to be and of course you know having lived that life i know that is utter utter bullshit yeah i mean <laughs> apart from the fact that it's what this episode does is to go in for a whole bunch of targets that almost nobody will bother defending. Mm. Um, you've basically got the main villain is basically a member of Combat 18, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, spot on. Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, I mean, talking of uh, you know, talking of the main villain, how, how fucking useless was he as, as a villain? How kind of unmemorable, um, totally lacking any kind of screen presence. I think this is a bit of a problem in general with this with this with this season. If I if I recall, um, that like none of the none of the villains in this season really have much character, nor do they really have much point, and they certainly never kind of get a comeuppance. It's very no, very I mean, strange. If you, um, it, this is like if if you're going for 
like some imagined idea of realism. Have yeah. you ever met a Nazi skinhead? Nazi skinheads are fucking terrifying when you yeah. actually meet them. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're stone cold, hard fucking bastards, and you know perfectly well that given the slightest excuse, they will hurt you yeah. really badly. One and of they'll them enjoy doing it. One of them, Doc. Do you remember? Got on stage with us when we were when we were playing Absolutely live once. Yeah. And 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 uh, me and the Doc used to play in a band, and we were playing a show. And this, you know, proper stereotypical Nazi skinhead guy, you know, got up on stage, put his arm around me halfway through a song, and whispered in my ear, "When you when you guys finish playing, I'm going to kill you." Oh. I believed him. I, I was shitting myself for the rest um, of the gig. But for, fortunately, he passed out and the body end. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. He, uh, he was, um, I think he sort of managed to drink himself into oblivion. Mm. Um, but, um, I mean, if if you, want, if you want a threatening villain, that's the kind of vibe you need to get over. And, I mean, the casting and the direction and the lines they gave him, uh, I once again know the I, I know why they do this. It's to try to commun it's to try to communicate this idea that they're nothing but loudmouth bullies and, and 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 they'll back down if you just stand up. But they're fucking not. No. Mm -hmm. Um NF skinheads are not nothing but loudmouth bullies who'll back down if you stand up to them. If you stand up to them, um they will go, come on then, and yeah. lamp the daylights out of you. Yeah, because they fucking love it, don't they? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's, so it's, it's 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 a strange piece of messaging almost, isn't it? Almost like encouraging that that notion that you know. Well, there's two ways to go, aren't there? With a bully, normally you, you kind of parental advice. There's there, there's two uh, generally uh, pieces of accepted wisdom. One is you know if you ignore the bully, the bully will go away, and the other is if you you know stand up to the bully because generally the bully's a coward. Um, um but. I think the other one I heard was um, just make sure you win. <laughs> yeah, but um, my, my dad always used to say, um, you know, son, if you, if you don't get into a scrap, go for the feet, the knees, and the balls. Yeah. Yeah, good, um, good advice, Dad. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so it, all, all they had to do to make that villain work um, was to communicate the menace that those people who really do exist mm -hmm. give off. I'm thinking, um, um, I'm thinking that Robert Carlyle's um, football hooligan character from Cracker. Uh, yeah, that would work. What about um, that? The, um, I'm going to look at this actor's name, um, the, who was Hondo from Romper Stomper. Oh, yes, that's the Australian movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but no, I can't remember the name, but I know the, but I know the exact film. Um, and it, so, I mean, if you're talking about sort of any notional realism, um, mm -hmm. that's the vibe they should have been going. Um, should I also point out, by the way, I nearly fucking puked the scene where um, the doctor figures out that he can't defend himself and then torments him. All oh, right. Mm -hmm. Remind me, Doc, what, what happened it was a few days ago when I watched it? Oh, uh, well, it's uh, it's a bit of a Blake Seven reference. Uh,
he's had um, a limiter placed in his head, so he can't commit acts of violence. That's right. Um, and then basically, she 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 torments him, mm-hmm. um, and it's nauseating. Mm. Well, you know, if she had a police uniform on and a and a and a, and a like a, a baton in her hand, then maybe maybe she'd have done something similar, Doc. Maybe, 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 I loved the kind of, there's a great dolly shot. And I'm, you sometimes get frustra- frustrated with flashy direction, don't you? Know? Whereas I, I, I tend to approve. And, and maybe this is one that, 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 that I adjure as well, but I really liked it. Great dolly shot. Um, right near the start of the episode, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's setting the scene basically. That it's letting us know, oh, we're in the past. I mean, there's a title card that tells us that anyway. But just in case we miss that, this dolly shot is just establishing it. So it kind of trundles down the road, following obviously like a vintage American car, contemporary to the to the story, but vintage now. Um, yeah. And then swings around a corner. The car carries off down the road, and, th- and then the, the dolly shot swings into an alley, and then the TARDIS materialises. I thought it was fucking great, Doc. Oh, no, that, uh, that shot was great. Uh, yeah. Um, the flashy direction I don't like. Um, is when people want to show off how much money they've got and what they learned in film school. Mm-hmm. Um, if if people, I, I mean, in the future we'll get on to talking about how much I love Paul Bernard, um, and the man just did not saw that that man never saw a zoom lens lever that he didn't want to wiggle the fuck out of. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, he, he he never saw a focus wheel that he didn't want to twist in and out of focus. <laughs> as much as possible mm, mm. Um, and I absolutely adore his directing style um, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum um, I should be obvious now I absolutely adore Douglas Scanfield and I love Michael Ferguson and mm-hmm. I love um, like all the proper good directors yeah um, the shot you're talking about um, had a point um, was to take in Amelia to take in the street, um, to orient us to the era we were in, sure. um, and then in the same shot to unify the two halves of the television program that we hoped we were going to be watching by bringing the TARDIS into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was—I don't even think it was flashy. It was direction used appropriately to help the narrative along, and it's—it's a, it, it's a classic case of show don't tell, and I loved it. I think—I think the last time I referenced uh, this style of direction was also an episode directed by Mark Tonderoy, which is what we talked about him before. And it's the, the I'm sure it was Jodie escaping from, Jodie and the team kind of escaping from, up some kind of shoot out into the outside world. And then you just get this long shot and it's presumably done by a drone and it kind of swoops down and, and ends up kind of at an angle underneath our heroes, basically. I loved it, and, and and you found it a little bit kind of um, try hard, I think. But that was Tondra as well. Sure, um, uh, and I mean, 
Um, who's to say that people can't get better? Let's hope yeah. they can, right? Yeah, that's true enough. Um, there's some funny stuff in here, Doc. I thought. I thought you know, the, the sprinkled throughout. There were some funny lines. Like, like I said, I thought the Mexican line was quite funny. Um, when the Doc's writing on the motel wall, and Graham says, "Oh, pack it in, you ain't Banksy," and then she responds. Or am I? I? I quite like that, Doc. I don't know why, but it, but it, it, it tickled my uh, it tickled my funny bone. Oh, it just made me go ooh woo woo pop culture reference. Now fuck off. Oh, there you go. There we go. Isn't it interesting? Um, Graham describing a smartphone and then identifying himself as Steve Jobs. I enjoyed that one, Doc. How did you respond to that one? Um, I thought they were going to do. I thought they were going to do this, and if they'd done this, I would have loved it. I thought yeah. he was going to whip out a smartphone. Ah, wow, okay. Oh, blimey, yes. Uh -huh. But would the Doc have allowed that? Or surely that would have kind of broken some kind of Doctor Who version of the Prime Directive. Well, we're... <laughs> um, okay, I wasn't going to bring this up until a second from the end, but... Um... <laughs> We're in a very uncomfortable place, aren't we? Um, when you're writing stories that address very real, very well-documented events that most definitely did happen. Mm -hmm. And when they very definitely did happen, and when they were very, very carefully documented, the doctor wasn't there. Because mm -hmm. um, I don't think the doctor was actually there. Right. On, 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 uh, on the day of Rosa's protest. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, I mentioned earlier, like one piece of narrative fracture. This is a second piece of narrative fracture, um, because we now need to know why the doctor doesn't intervene or do something useful at other crucial moments of social injustice. Uh -huh. Um, but, 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 but this is this is the nature of these kind of time travel stories, isn't it? You know, the, it, the, there is going to be a paradox somewhere. Um, but most of them do their best to keep a safe distance. Uh -huh. um, and um, but there are people in this story um, who, in theory, could, uh, the, 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 there are some little kids in the background in a couple of scenes, and in theory, those people who were depicted in the episode could have been alive at the time of transmission. Sure. Um, and you're, you're faced with the ultimate narrative collapse when you've got someone who's alive who can point at a depiction of real events and go, I was there and it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Does that bother you, or are you just pointing it out as a flaw? It's. I can't work out whether it bothers me or not. Mm. Um, I mean, because it, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. You know, this, this the, is a work of fiction. My, but it isn't, is it? It's absolutely not a work of fiction. Well, it, it, a work of fiction based on real events. You know, a fictionalized telling of 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 a real event. You know, for, for me, it's no different to. Um, uh, you know, the countless uh, alternative World War II stories. You know, James Herbert's book 48, for example. But this, is, this isn't an alternative. Th this story explicitly says that the Doctor intervened. Yeah. Um, 
to cause that protest to happen. Oh, sure. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like that, that protest happened absolutely without the doctor's intervention. Mm. Oh, so again, this this is another example, I suppose, of a criticism we've got of modern who I think, which I think we both share that the doctor's the centre of, of fucking everything, basically. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at, um, pick one off the top of my head. If you look at the Reign of Terror. There we are. I think we really are home. I don't know. We've lost our way and we need your help. This is England, isn't it? No, France. The doctors put us down right in the middle of the French Revolution. The reign of terror. We were found in the house with Rouvet and Darkinson and arrested by... There's no implication that the doctor is involved in unseating Robespierre and establishing the Republic that comes immediately after the reign of terror. What about something like the visitation? Have you seen the sky? It's beautiful. What are you talking about? I couldn't control my mind. Strange lights in the sky never bode well for the future. Whatever the phenomenon was, it certainly wasn't natural. There's evil at work here. I don't think you'll have seen anything quite like a terror natural before. You'd never establish yourselves here. You are assuming we plan to coexist. <laughs> Isn't there some isn't there some kind of implication that the doctor was terrible? Of course, the Great Fire of London. Yes, That's absolutely. It. You got it. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, but you're not. There are no real people in that. Uh, Richard Mace wasn't a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's considering the speed with which the Great Fire of London spread. It's actually uncertain nowadays as to whether it could have started in in, in, in any one spot. The sure. speed with which it took off. Um, looks a lot like a carefully coordinated arson because the, the whole place was wrapped with um, bubonic plague and badly needed to be burned to the ground. Oh, right, okay. So maybe, um, yeah, it, 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 you know, a convenient solution. Um, by the time you get to the visitation, um, you're squarely in Black Adder territory. Yeah. You've, uh-huh. got, you've got people in period costume making jokes about real events. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think anyone would be crass enough to make jokes about the civil rights movement. Well, so this, well, I mean, this this, this is that uh, uh, principle of you know tragedy plus time equals comedy, isn't it? And all that civil rights stuff is still far too raw a wound. Yeah. Um, so uh, I mean, that's that's one thing that just seems weird and off to mm. me. Mm-hmm. They're they're ascribing uh, without setting it in a parallel universe. Um, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, let me let me remind you of one of the purposes of science fiction, which is to address social problems of the present in the present by means of allegory. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm inclined to say I'll leave it there, but because I because I'm me, I can't. Um, I mean, so. I know the counter to this is that actually the doctor isn't um, causing Rosa to make her protest. All the doctor is doing is making sure that history stays on the course that it would have taken anyway. Well, uh, uh, I think that's that's kind of the idea. Is it? It's a bit like, um, like I don't know, Back to the Future or something like that, isn't it? You know. Or something like the butterfly effect. Mm. 
burn. And I used to have those blackouts. Some of those memories have been coming back to me. Evan Trayborn has crossed the line between past and present. I'd think twice about what you're doing. Now, our future. Every time I go back in time, everything goes wrong. Hangs in the balance. Oh my God, what did we do? Ashton Kutcher, Amy Smart. You can't play God. The Butterfly Effect, rated R. Starts Friday, January 23rd. You know, you, you've kind of gone back in time. Your actions have changed the future negatively. Suddenly Ashton Kutcher's got no arms. <laughs> you know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, 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 and so you kind of work to um, put right what put right what you did wrong, as it were. Yeah, so and I'd, I'd have a lot more sympathy if um, the Doctor and her friends were there to do nothing but counter the other alien presence that was attempting to disrupt history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a fatal mistake having the Doctor and her friends meet Rosa. Yeah. All right. Oh, really? So you th- there should have been no contact at all. Uh, that's how I would have written it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I. Would. Um, Go on, Doc. Well, this this is another. All right. Long ago, um, I heard about one of the Virgin books, like Extended Universe. Doctor Who stories. Mm. And people were very excited about this because in the story, the Doctor kind of declares war on the British Empire and decides mm-hmm. to put right the wrongs of the British. And but this, of course, opens up a can of worms. Why doesn't the Doctor do anything? At, why doesn't the Doctor then do something about any of the other wicked and usurious empires that have existed throughout Earth's history? Mm-hmm. Why just that one? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, and this is going to sound a lot like I'm mocking or making light, and I promise you I'm not. But, like, next season, do we get an episode where the Doctor has to persuade Nelson Mandela to stay on the train that's going through Peter Marriottsburg, even though she knows the government agents are waiting to arrest him? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, having the Doctor interfere or intercede, for good or ill, in the lives of real people who actually existed. Um, I think on the one hand, it steers dangerously cr- close to belittling, belittling something that really happened for the purposes mm. of entertainment. Mm. Um, and in the end, the horrible thing that you can't get away from is that the civil rights, only, uh, the civil rights movement only happened because of the intervention of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part that left a really, nice, a, a, a really, really unpleasant taste in my mouth. I wasn't happy with the fact that, kind of towards the end of the episode, it, 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 it kind of started to feel tonally like a, a bit of a caper, um, which I thought was just a very, very, very peculiar choice, given like the gravity of the, you know, of the, of the, of the actual situation, the importance, particularly to American history. And, and, and it suddenly kind of became a bit of a knockabout comedy. I, th- I thought it was a bit weird, Doc. There's a way they could have done that. There's a way they could have done that that would have been totally appropriate. Yeah. Um, and um, with with enough lightness of touch, they should have done it in the style of an era-appropriate race comedy. Sure. Um, they should have done it um, in the style of, you know, from at any time between the 30s and the 50s, there were any number of black-only films made for black-only audiences many of which are stupid slapstick films. 
Um, and if they'd have picked that style for the last half of the episode, um, then it would have all made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Doc, should we move on to the next part of the show? We, we are kind of a little bit up against it with, with time. Yeah, sure. Should we do that? Commander, you are authorised to use the mind probe. What? No, not the mind probe. Welcome to part two of the show. Um, we call it not the mind probe. Um, broadcast dates for this episode, 21st of October 2018. UK and US film releases of note. Halloween, again, Doc. I mean, could, could I give less of a shit about Halloween by this point? It's Michael Myers. Babysitter murders, 1978. 40 years to this day. We have to hunt him down. Rated R. For 40 years, I've waited for him. He's waited for me. He will be killed tonight. Happy Halloween, Michael. Rated R. Um, is, wait, wait, wait. That's That can't possibly be the Rob Zombie one, can it? No, no. I think this. I think there've been two since that doc. Would you believe? You are shitting me. I'm not shitting you. That's that's what I'm saying. Just yawnerama. Jesus Christ. Um, I've got an idea that that's that the humor vacuum. Seth Rogen is some somehow involved in this as well. Um, although, then again, on the review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes. 79% out of 382 critics are positive. So maybe I'm wrong. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> I, um, sorry, carry on. That was just one of those wow moments. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Stan and Ollie. Uh, that's the Steve Coogan, John C. Riley uh, biopic. Don't miss the performances everyone's talking about. Two seats, front row. Steve Coogan and John C. Riley are absolute perfection. Well, that went well. Their performances are stunning, brilliant, and extraordinary. Can't have Hardy without Laurel. Obviously, of Laurel and Hardy. Uh, UK number ones. Uh, never heard of this track, Doc. I've got it downloaded. I haven't listened to it because I do enjoy sharing this moment with you. Um, sure. This is called, let me let me find it. Uh, the artist is called Dave, featuring Freddo. And the track, <laughs> is called, and the track is called Funky Friday. I must be honest, Doc. My hopes aren't high. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Talking to John Carpenter, doesn't that sound like um, that? That really sounds like a John Carpenter score, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it doesn't quite sound like the one from Halloween, but I mean, yeah. If, if you if somebody told you that was the music from a, a John Carpenter film that you'd somehow never seen before, you would absolutely believe them. Yeah, I'm thinking Escape from New York, something like that. Here we go. Yeah. One six game. 
this age How are them man still hating? My young boy in a different country But he ain't never been on vacation One hand on a girl I'm dating One hand on the cash I'm making We come through like Funky Friday And have all your man them skating I came in 5.50 on trainers I learn girl amazing Could be Bayesian, Trini or Haitian She got a bag with flowers If the trainers match I'll take it Me and bro just shut down Gucci Had the whole of the shop floor waiting Who's that girl in a line with a big... I don't hate it, Doc, I must be honest. I don't, I, I don't mind me a little bit of a kind of dark-edged, inspired... What would that be? Rap? Hip-hop? Whatever, whatever um, genre that is. It's, uh, I, um, I'm going to share my age by saying grime. Oh, I yeah. Don't think it, I don't think it's either trap or drill. No, no, it, 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 it doesn't sound aggressive enough for that. No. I don't um, think. But I, don't, I don't hate it. The, the, the fact it's kind of got that horror vibe going on is always going to give me uh, give me the tingles. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, absolutely, I don't hate it. There we go, Doc. Here we go. Dave, you've got the different doctor, same odd shit, seal of approval. Um, I also just like the fact that he's called Dave as well. I know, it's pretty good. Um, oh, here's a clanking gear change for you, Doc. I want to talk about Emmett Till briefly, if I could. Um, this, this was a, a, a young boy, name-checked by... Rosa Parks, and for people that don't know, here's a brief summary of what happened. Um, I'm going to read basically the first three paragraphs from Wikipedia. Um, those of a sensitive disposition, maybe skip forward a minute or so. Uh, Emmett Louis Till was a 14-year-old African-American who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. The brutality of his murder and the fact that his killers were acquitted drew attention to the long history of violent persecution of African-Americans in the United States till posthumously became an icon of the civil rights movement. Um, and I'm going to skip a little bit. Um, here we go. Uh, during summer vacation in August 1955, he was visiting relatives near Money, Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta region. He spoke to 21-year-old Carolyn Bryant, the white married proprietor of a small grocery store there. Although what happened in, at the store is a matter of dispute, Till was accused of flirting with or whistling at Bryant. Till's in, interaction with Bryant, perhaps unwittingly, violated the unwritten code of behaviour for a black male interacting with a white male, with a white female in the Jim Crow era South. Several nights after the incident in the store, Bryant's husband Roy and his half-brother J.W. Millam who were armed, went to Till's great-uncle's house and abducted Emmett. They took him away and beat and mutilated him before shooting him in the head and sinking his body in the Tallahatchie River. Three days later, Till's body was discovered and retrieved from the river. The body was returned to Chicago, where his mother insisted on a public funeral service with an open casket, which was held at Robert's Temple Church of God in Christ. It was later said that the open coffin funeral held by Mammy Till Bradley exposed the, exposed the world to more than her son, Emmett Tilly's bloated, mutilated body. Her, dis, her decision focused attention not only on US racism and the barbarism of lynching, but also on the limitations and vulnerabilities of American democracy. I got through it, Doc. I, did, I wasn't sure. If that, that was the bit I thought I was going to crack, but I got through it. Um, so, yeah, that, that name that, that, that Rosa Parks chucks out, that's Emmett Till. I knew the name, Doc, but I must be honest. I must confess my ignorance. I did my ignorance. I did not know the, the, the background. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, 
I don't think I even mentioned how great the, uh, the lady who plays Rosa Parks is in this. Mm. Fabulous. Yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree, Doc. Let, let's give her a name check. Um, um, wait, wait, let me find it, Doc. Where, where, where is it? The um, Vinette Robinson. Uh, that's who you're talking about. The the, the, the the bit quite close to the beginning. The um, didn't your mama bring you up with no manners? I'll take mum. I, I, I love that part. I love that line so much. Yeah, she was just great. She was stoic, wasn't she? She was commanding, you know, had just had just grace, basically. Doc, can you, can you talk to us briefly? In that bit, Wikipedia section that I just read out, there was mention of the, the Jim Crow laws. Uh, what's your insight here, Doc? Can you help us out? Um, the Jim Crow laws were um, <laughs> effective segregation that replaced legal segregation mm -hmm. um, and it is a matter for debate that the Jim Crow laws left common black people after abolition um, in at least as bad a condition as slavery. Sure. Um, and a phrase you'll hear quite often is, congratulations, you're free, now you're free to starve. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a set of regulations, laws, both formal and informal. Um, which, yeah, um, effectively um, meant that although nominally now free and US citizens, um, black people were... Uh, there is a Supreme Court case um, called Brown versus, Brown versus the Board of Education, um, and that's the, the piece of legal history you, you'll, you'll want to go to, which guaranteed that black people could um, could be segregated if they were given facilities that were separate and equal. Um, this was considered to be constitutional. Um, of course, what happened in reality is that the, the, the facilities that black people were given were never equal. Um, and the segregated school, the, the black-only schools were underfunded, black-only public facilities were underfunded, um, and there's, as always, discussion about this, but many consider the Jim Crow laws to have ushered in a period that was every bit as perniciously divided mm. and um, set against black people than an overt era of slavery was. This is beautifully highlighted in a, a, a really good movie from three or four years ago called Hidden Figures. You know what we're doing here? I'm trying to put a man into space. I need mathematicians that can look beyond the numbers. My gals are ready. Don't you know that we're able? If you were a white male, would you wish to be an engineer? I wouldn't have to. I'd already be one. We all get there together, we don't get there at all. We can do it. Hidden Figures. Rated PG, January 6th. Um, the story of that film, based on based on true story, is um, about the, the 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 black female. They were called calculators. Um, you know, the, 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 these people are just excellent at maths. Who helped um, the NASA space program? You know, basically, without without whom, it, it, it could be argued it, it would have been, it would have taken America much longer to actually you know successfully launch a mission to land on the moon um and one of the characters keeps getting shouted at her boss because you know she goes to the toilet and, she, and then she's back late but the reason she's back late is because the only toilet that she's allowed to use is fucking 10 minutes away the other side of the complex 
So just to yeah. get there and back is 20 minutes, never mind the time it takes to do whatever she's got to do. Um, it, honestly, it, it's so brutal and so upsetting, um, just just the injustice of it. I mean, there's, there's a thing I have to mention here, um, and, and this, this is probably actually me doing something close to virtue signaling. Um, you mentioned that the, the young man who got lynched and the fact that he was from Chicago. Mm. Um, and this is kind of not really related to the episode, but this infuriates me when this happens as well, when racism and, link, and, 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 and lynching culture um, and the exclusion by violence, if necessary, of black people from facilities to which they're entitled um, is um, very conveniently looked on by, um, I suppose, historically by um, Union America or Yankee America as something that dumb crackers do in the South. Um, someday, uh, everybody please, like, do a little reading around the Great Migration um, and the institutional inequality that was carried on, particularly in the city of Chicago, um, mm -hmm. sort of, um, and was perpetrated by, very much by, um, the allegedly liberal, enlightened north of the US. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's another reason I find it kind of uncomfortable when the South is persistently used as a metaphor for everything that's wrong with race relations in the US. And maybe it was, but it wasn't just the South. Sure. Um, and like constantly pointing at the Carolinas or the Delta. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's attempting to divert attention from the fact that there were, there were lots of places in the liberal North that made a very good living out of cotton and tobacco and all of the products of the antebellum South. Mm. Um, and I, I find it uncomfortable that whenever feel, when, when, whenever white liberals want to make a point about race relations in the U S then we get this cartoonish straw man depiction of dumb redneck crackers. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you, you chose the word cartoonish in my head. I, I had the word caricature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I'm not saying, I'm not saying they weren't part of it. What I am saying is they weren't the only part of it. But, but, but you know, may, maybe the, the, the easiest, maybe, maybe the most identifiable and the easiest to lampoon, Doc, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I'm curious, um, because I think this would have happened, mm. that Southern blacks in the 1950s would have regarded, and there's constant references to people being British. I think Southern blacks in the 1950s would have regarded British people as being inherently responsible for their condition of slaves in the first place. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got two examples of contemporary music in this episode, I believe. Um, there's a piece of music when Rosa was arrested 
cynical and manipulative, I, I, I thought, in its use. But I let myself go with it. And I, I must be honest, I got a bit teary again when that was happening. And then over the closing credits, um, there's it could be the same piece of music. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, the piece over the end is, is, is a, a single called Rise Up by somebody called Andrew Day from 2015. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. You can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. One of the few episodes um, I can't recall, apart from Earthshock, I can't recall. Look! An episode ending without the like the, the, the actual title music playing. Can, can, can you think of any other doc? No, um, and I mean it's another. Um, this is the final thing I've got to say about the episode, um, and it's Chibnall and its modern popular culture at its most manipulative. Mm. This episode is set up so that if you dislike the episode as a piece of narrative television, then you look racist. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um. And um, that end title sequence, um, I think, is explicitly designed to push that point, to, to, to reinforce that point. Yeah, I, I, I knew that. I, 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 knew, you know, I knew what was happening. You know, I knew what was being done to me. But in the moment, I, I, I just went with it, basically. I, you know, I, I allowed, the, I allowed the, the emotions to, to carry me. Uh, 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 the whole time, understanding that, that that it was cynical manipulation. Um, since we both have an understanding of Satanism, um, then I, I, I need to point out that there's there's nothing wrong with allowing yourself to be uh, there's, there's there's nothing wrong with allowing yourself to be played like a cheap violin. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, put yourself in a situation where you're going to allow yourself to be made lacrimal or made to laugh or made horny mm -hmm. um, then as long as you go into it with your eyes open that's it isn't it um and you know for the next 15 or 20 minutes or for the next two hours i'm going to allow myself to be manipulated mm -hmm. um then actually that's kind of okay yeah um kind of 
I've gone to an odd loop here. Um, I think the cynicism of this episode um, undermines it so very badly. And it looks, and, and it ends up, it tries so hard, what it ends up looking like is a piece of cultural appropriation. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the one thing that if we're responsible writers of narrative nowadays, we're not supposed to do, which is steal black people's stories. <laughs> and that's what it looks like to me. Um, here is what I think they should have done. Um, I think Chris Chibnall should have stepped aside from making an episode of Doctor Who, and I, 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 um, I, I think he should have made a documentary about it. Oh yes, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Put it in that slot. Mm. Um, you could run it up with the Doctor Who title sequence, um, and um, like have have the companions narrate it as a and, 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 and do a straight out documentary, um, and flag the bits that you're dramatizing. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, otherwise, what you're doing is ripping off a real historical event for the purposes of selling a television program and making money, and it, it's 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 just narrative theft again. Sure. I, 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 I did. I, you know, I, I didn't get that emotional response from it because you know me, me and you differ on this doc as we've spoken about before you know i think i think anything's fair game when it comes to fiction basically um but i do but, but i do fair game when it comes to fiction but this isn't fiction i know i know i know we we we, we, we do disagree with this um but you know of course i totally I mean, respect your viewpoint doc all right isn't this what um charlie booker Charlie, well, no, uh, Chris Morris mm -hmm. was having a go at when he did the episode of Brass Eye about Sutcliffe the musical. Next week, Peter Sutcliffe takes to the West End stage to star in a musical of his own life. On day release from Broadmoor Prison, Sutcliffe has been rehearsing intensively for three months. The role includes singing police chases, but finishes with Sutcliffe atoning for his crimes. And I really am so very truly sorry. Co-star Marigold Blenny says he's a kind man with a sense of humour. I mean, you see how dark it is here. I mean, he's always he's always jumping out at you. Oh, like this. So, what's the audience going to make of it? I think they'll go away thinking maybe maybe he's really mis misunderstood, man. Maybe that. Yeah, 20 years ago he was taking the piss. But not everyone sees the positive side. Peter Sutcliffe is allowed I'm, I'm, out I'm, under police escort from Broadmoor to perform a work about his own life in musical form. The catch is, you see, he, he appears on stage and he says, I'm sorry. I don't care, don't care what he's saying. Don't he say he's forfeited his rights to society yeah. by doing so much damage to society? His agent says it's a... His agent? What a game he's got here. I know. What a, an it, agent? Well, it's a, a you know, who's in jail for the, show, for the producer, The producer of the show. The producer of the show. Well, there shouldn't be a show. Should we revive our ailing culture, or should we just put it out of its misery? Or should we bring it back to life and then shoot it for letting us down so badly? You haven't got a clue, have you? Um, oh, you'd have to remind me, Doc. Um, well, he did a, a, an episode of Brass Eye about a presentation of um, a West End musical about Peter Sutcliffe. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And what's the and connection here, do you think, in, in your mind? Well, it's it's taking something that really happened and making what's arguably a pretty crass piece of entertainment out of it. Mm. 
I suppose, I suppose the argument there is you're right. There may be there may be people alive that remember. Um, I mean, how old would you have to be, do you think, to have like a proper conscious memory of this? This happened in 1955 or six, was it? Um, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd have to have been 15 in 1955, so you'd have to have been born in 1940. Yeah, um, so you're looking at 80, 82, aren't you? No, we're only making mid-80s. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so the, the, there's a good chance that there's plenty of people still knocking around. Um, yeah, I get your anxiety, Doc. I just, I just don't particularly share it in this instance. Um, sure. I mean, mm, um, Unlike Chris Chudnall, I'm not in the business of trying to uh, make people think the same as me or do what I tell no, them. No, I know, I know, and, and, and that's why that, that's why our conversations are so enjoyable. I think because we don't always agree, <laughs> but we never but we never fall out. You know, we're, no. we're, we are a lesson to the world in in 2022. <laughs> Doc. Um, I'm about done, I think. I, I, did I enjoy this episode? I mean, I really, I enjoyed the performances. I thought, you know, Vinette Robinson as, as Rose was was fabulous. Um, I thought the main TARDIS team were very good. Um, I thought the, the villain was fucking useless, but, but I don't think that was his fault. I don't blame the actor for that. Um, I like the, you know, the, we... we, we, we because we don't do the production bit on the on, on the new new who stuff, you know the actual realization of the world was fabulous. Um, so all positive, positive, positive. But you know there is that you know there is that side to me where I just don't I don't really like being told what to think, Doc. You know, and when people try and tell me what to think, generally, you know, in my head I'm just thinking, oh, go fuck yourself. And that's why. I think the whole thing um, would have been better served by uh, just Chris Chibnall really putting his money where his mouth is and doing a straight-up documentary. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, okay, just before we go, um, here's how you could have done it. Um, you could have done it as a documentary within an episode of Doctor Who and the Doctor's companions decide they're going to go and make a documentary. Wow, wow. Yeah, what a great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fabulous on, on, on two levels, I think. One, I think it'd be a really effective way to tell this story. And two, oh my God, that would fuck the fanboys off, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so win-win. Yeah, ah, really win-win for me, Doc. Um, I think we're done, aren't we, sir? I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Don't forget, guys, you can contact us by email differentdocsos at gmail.com, Twitter at sosdifferent, Facebook mo.moses.1048. We've got used to that now. We've stopped laughing at that. We've got used to that. <laughs> it's just become normal. <laughs> uh, join us next time, guys, when we'll be discussing uh, Bill Hartnell's fourth story as the Doctor, the seven-parter Marco Polo. Never seen it, Doc. Really looking forward to it. I will greatly look forward to it. See you next time, brother. See you later. Bye-bye.